today. Today's topic, high drama in Lystra. Dun, 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 dun. Yes. We love our drama, don't we? Uh, the only problem is, I don't, have any of you watched, been watching the uh, Line of Duty series that finished recently? Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, what an awesome series. Except that it's late on a Sunday night. And every week ends in such high drama, I'm all keyed up at not whatever time it is at night, and I can't sleep. It's, it's the wrong time of night to, to do that. But we do love a drama. And we're looking at a very dramatic situation here in Lystra as we carry on our survey through the book of Acts and trying to work out, draw out of it, what it means for you and I and for us as a church. So let's first, let's look at the passage, and then we'll talk a bit about it today. Uh, we're in Acts 14 verses 8 to 20, and what's happening is this. It says, In Lystra there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking. Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. When the crowd saw what Paul had done, they shouted in the Lycaonian language, the gods have come down to us in human form. Barnabas they called Zeus, and Paul they called Hermes, because he was the chief speaker. The priest of Zeus, whose temple was just outside the city, brought bulls and reeds to the city gates because he and the crowd wanted to offer sacrifices to them. But when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of this, they tore their clothes and rushed out into the crowd, shouting, Friends, why are you doing this? We too are only human, like you. We are bringing good news, telling you to turn from these worthless things to the living God who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. In the past, he let all nations go their own way, yet he has not left himself without testimony. He has shown kindness by giving you rain from heaven and crops in their seasons. He provides you with plenty of food and fills your hearts with joy. Even with these words, they had difficulty keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Sounds a bit like some big social media event, <laughs> some famous YouTuber. Um, then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. High drama in Lystra. There's a lot going on here. So the story so far, we know a lot of it, just to remind us where we are. This is now modern-day Lystra, a big mound over the top of the ancient ruins of that place. It wasn't a huge city, or even it wasn't really much more than a town in those days. Um, <clears throat> and where are we? We are there, Lystra. We've come from Iconium previously down to Lystra. They're going on to Derby afterwards. So just uh, north of Cyprus in the mainland there, that's where we are. And what do we find in this place? We find that there is no synagogue. That's unusual, right? What does Paul normally do whenever he gets to a new town? He goes first to the synagogue. Starts to preach there. Some people believe and follow. Some people don't. They get kicked out of the synagogue. He carries on preaching. Then he gets kicked out of town and moves on and moves on. That's the pattern uh, of his life. 
No, no synagogue there, but some interesting things. So, firstly, we notice from this passage, something that stands out to me is everybody worships something. These are pagans uh, that he's talking to here. They're, perhaps there are no, there's no large community of Jews. You didn't need a lot of people to have a, a synagogue. It was 10 or 12 Jewish men were required to establish a synagogue. So this is a non-Jewish place. And it's interesting for Paul because he's never been to preach in a non-Jewish place before. It's the first time that we at least know of. Every other place he's gone, there has been a Jewish community. And this is the first of only two incidents in the book of Acts where... Uh, he preaches to a non-Jewish community. Do you know the other one? Where's the other place he goes later on in the book of Acts that has no Jewish community? At least he doesn't preach in a synagogue, so we assume there isn't. No, not Rome. Not Malta. He, uh, he goes to Athens. And those of you who may remember, in Athens, he preaches to the philosophers and the, the poets, and he, right? Those are our two, if you like, speeches by Paul, or his declarations of the gospel in a, come in a very different form from the way that he speaks to a God-fearing Jewish um, uh, background. So this is a very interesting incident. And I think this and Athens, which we'll get to another time, teach us a lot in our community, our society, our culture, about how we might reach out. And so we're going to focus on that. Rather than do all the detail of this passage today, what I want to do is draw out of this some thoughts for us about how we can ourselves be effective in reaching out to a pagan uh, culture, if you like. So what's going on? A little bit more background before we get into uh, some ideas here. Um, what we, what's going on here is that, first of all, Paul notices people have faith. And I think that's important. Sometimes we, we're not open to the idea, or we don't see with the eyes of faith, we don't see needs, perhaps. This chap who's lame looks directly at Paul, and uh, he, his, Paul sees that he has the faith to be healed. I don't know quite how that worked, uh, how that worked with Paul, what, what special spiritual insight he had, or how the spirit worked to prompt it, but somehow he saw. And noticing is the first part of reaching out to people, isn't it? Noticing. We need to notice the people around us. Sometimes we're busy, and we've got lots of things going on in our minds, and we don't notice the people around us. I've been praying more recently to notice people. Uh, it may sound very basic, but, but it's so easy to miss. On Wednesday night, the men met in Casterbury Park to pray. And we had a great time. Tunde and Leon and I were off praying and, uh, and some other brothers were praying. And part of my prayer was for me to uh, notice people that have needs. And I prayed about some of my neighbors, and in particular one lady who lives uh, opposite us, and uh, that, that very prayer time. Anyway, I walked home from the park, down the alley, along my street, and into my driveway. And I got to the gate of my driveway, and I turned around. Uh, it's bin night on Wednesday night in my road, so the bins have to go out. And I think Penny had already put the bins out, I think. So I noticed that. Um, and then I, as I turned around to close the gate, I noticed my neighbor opposite, an elderly lady, uh, struggling with her bins. This is about 9.30 at night. And she's out there in a dressing gown. And her hair is not as she would wish it to be in public. And, but she's, and she's got one arm in a sling. And she's trying to, and she's, I don't know how old she is, but let's say, I guess, around 80, maybe. If she's watching this, I hope I'm not doing you a disservice. Um, 
But she's struggling with these things, and so I went across the road and I said, do you need a hand? She said, yes, please. She'd had surgery on her elbow on Monday. She wasn't, couldn't move her bins around. And I mean, you know, it was a, a tough situation for her. And, and I was glad to be able to help her with her bins. And the next morning after the bin lorries had been, to take the bins back into her driveway and put them where she wanted them. And it's a small thing, right? It's a small thing. But reaching out to people, getting involved in people's lives, and then perhaps having the opportunity to share the gospel begins with noticing. And maybe that's just one small thing we can all pray about, is to notice the people around us. People who sit next to us, walk around past us, uh, our neighbors, uh, people at work in the next workstation, uh, parents at the school, fellow uh, pupils or students. Let's notice people. That's what Paul does first, is he notices, and that gives the opportunity for God to do some powerful work. Without him noticing, God's powerful work cannot be done. And so he heals the chap, or rather, very interesting, he doesn't even touch the chap, he just um, speaks to him and calls out. In fact, the word in the Greek is shouted. He shouted at the guy, not like just stand up. He was like, stand up! Um, stand up on your feet, and then the man jumps up and begins to walk. The power of God displayed in a powerful, amazing way. And then the people decide they want to sacrifice to Paul and Barnabas. And the background of this is um, Ovid, a poet, wrote of a legend about 50 years before this, of a legend about Zeus and Hermes coming to visit this area. And they came to visit this area, and the local population did not recognize them and did not treat them well, and except for an old couple. An old couple did. And so Zeus and Hermes went to have... Uh, afternoon tea with this old couple or something, and they blessed them and made them rich, but they wiped out the population of the whole rest of the area with a flood. So this is probably in the background of what's going on here with Paul and Barnabas, that they're like, oh, Zeus and Hermes are here, um, like Ovid wrote about 50 years ago, um, let's make sure we do it right this time so we don't get wiped out. And so they, they hatch this idea of, uh, of sacrificing to them, and the priest of Zeus brings a bull. Now, here's a, a nice prize bull. This is a picture of, at least as far as I could determine, the highest-priced bull in the world. It was sold in America uh, not long ago. It's, um, it's 1,107 pounds. Let me ask you, what do you guess it sold for? Let's have a little guess here. 1.5 Okay, 1.51 million dollars. Very good, Simone. Have you been Googling? Were you instantly Googling there? 1.51 million US dollars for that, that bull. Um, I don't know what's, what's going on there, but, but it, very expensive. But, so, but bulls have always been expensive. And so in this culture, to sacrifice a bull is to sacrifice one of the most precious and expensive things you could. So that's what they're doing. And we find that they're confused. They're, they're, the population are confused about what's going on. Hermes, Zeus, legends. But they want to worship. They want to sacrifice. And I think that's something we need to bear in mind. When we reach out and are trying to tell people about Jesus, we're only talking to people who want to worship something. They may not know what they're worshiping. They may, not be, they may not be conscious of what they're worshipping, but everybody worships something. They worship their career, and you can tell that because when they retire, they fall apart. And it's always difficult, I think, when you retire, as I shall find out one day, I suspect. But it, it may be difficult, but it shouldn't destroy us. Or, when, uh, or they worship uh, relationships, a marriage, a, a, a child. Some parents worship 
their children and they can't cope when their children leave home or choose lifestyles differently to their own. And it is difficult as a parent, but worshiping um, that some people worship other religion and some worship politics, frankly, uh, which is doomed to failure, shall we say. Um, some people worship football. That is true. Um, and other sport and the cricket, which I'm enjoying at the moment. Um, everybody worships something. It's just that they're confused. And that's what we see here in this passage. So having talked about that, let's go on to the main thing I want to talk about today. How do you, you don't have to say this right now, but let me ask you in your, in your heart, how do you feel about talking about your faith with people? Just, you know, when you think about talking about your faith, sharing your faith, talking about Jesus, talking about um, things to do with uh, spiritual matters, in, 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 how does it feel to you? And some of us, it will feel natural and easy. Some of us, it, it won't. Perhaps you can relate to uh, this cartoon here. I was just fine with the concept of sharing my faith until the pastor said we actually had to talk to people. Um, <laughs> That, that actually can be an issue. Or maybe you're a bit like the mouse here in this uh, little picture. Uh, excuse me, uh, but have you heard the good news about Jesus Christ? Mouse talking to a cat. Uh, perhaps that's how you feel at times. That fear, that, that, oh my goodness, do I have to do this? Rather than understanding that it's good news. Notice how Paul and Barnabas respond in this situation. They respond by talking about areas that they could have in common with the people in this pagan environment. So you don't see here anything about the cross. Uh, you don't see here anything about the resurrection, which is rare in the uh, sermons or, and, uh, of Paul and his public speaking. Instead, what do we see? We see he talks about good news, which is, uh, which is a key thing here. This is not a message of judgment. It's a message of good news. Um, we're human. We're, it's good news telling you to turn. Okay, so there's a decision perhaps for you to make. We've got, some, we've got an alternative for you here. Turning from these worthless things to the living God. A living God, not, a, uh, not a, uh, an image of stone or, or a concept. A living God who made the heavens and earth, the creator, the provider, the sustainer of nature, the sea, the earth, everything in them. You might imagine that he points to the sky when he talks to the heavens. He'd be pointing to the mountains which were nearby. He'd be pointing perhaps to the Mediterranean Sea in the distance. Everything in them in the past, he let all nations go their own way. He's telling them about the character of God, that God is patient. He's let them go. Uh, he's patient. He's kind. He's let them go their own way. He's not left himself without testimony. He's shown kindness. So God is a kind God, giving, as they know, rain, which they've experienced from heaven, crops in their seasons, provides you with plenty of food. Fills your hearts with joy. There's a positive message here. Now, they still have difficulty preventing them from sacrificing to them, but this message must have resonated with them in a way that it wouldn't have resonated with a Jewish audience. So, here's what we're going to do with the rest of our time. This idea came to me from, from a friend. Um, I'd like us to think about the simplest, in a sense, minimalist way we could share about our faith. And I'm going to suggest we do it an exercise right now, which is not the answer to all of what we're talking about, but is what, perhaps one helpful idea. So um, we all at one time were in darkness on, if we're a Christian, on one side of the chasm, if you like, and then God uh, has taken us to the other side by the cross, by what Jesus has done for us, right? So how about this? 
Think of two words which describe how you were before you knew God. Two words that describe your life before you were a Christian. Two words that were meaningful to you as a description. And then two words that might describe the change in you that God has brought about in you having become a Christian. So two words, sad face, all right? Two words describing your life without God in the past and happy face, two words that describe your life with God. And if you haven't yet had this experience, maybe you might like to speculate and think about what God could do to change the things that you are unhappy about with your life. So as an example, uh, this was Mohan I was talking to about this. As an example, he said that his words were that before, um, his two words that described him were selfish and spiraling. So selfish and spiraling. Like he looked like he had it all together when he was uh, uh, in those days. But actually, he was consumed with selfishness. There's a selfish part to most of us, of course. But, this was, but everything was really about him. His ambitions, his life was all about him. He didn't care about other people. And spiraling, as in it, he looked cool, kind of. But, but inside, there was a, uh, um, a, there was a whirlpool of, of just angst and fear and anxiety. So those two words he said, described his pre-Christian self. His post-Christian self, the two words he used to describe himself, were, um, were serving and secure. That because of what Jesus has done for him, he's gone from selfish to serving and from spiraling to secure. And that's not everything, is it? But I rather like that. And you can share that. Well, you can share those two words in two minutes. And then maybe that gives the opportunity to go further. Maybe it doesn't, but it's a start, isn't it? Because most people can relate to, say, selfishness. They can relate to the feelings of spiraling or something like that. And that's your experience because what's important here is it's not a theory or a concept. It's your experience. It's your story. And people can't really argue with your story. They may argue with how relevant it is to them, but they can't argue that your story is not your story. And very likely it will have some relevance. So what I'd like us to do is take three minutes to think about two words. All right, two words for before and two words to describe after. Two words before, two words after. Can we take three minutes to do that? Okay, I'm giving you three minutes starting now. Anyway, uh, who'd like to give us some before words? Search. What words would you use, Barry? Uh, directionless and chasing. Directionless and chasing. That's interesting, They're kind of connected and kind of Opposite each other almost, yeah. That's really interesting. What would you, on the other side, say now? Um, lead. Lead. Content. Oh, I like those. Yeah. Directionless and, sorry, chasing to lead and content. That's a huge difference, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Bill. Uh, searching. Okay. And actually... Directionless as well. Searching and directionless. And now? Serving. Serving. And confident. Confident. Confident in who I know. Right. Is with me. Is with you. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So those are great words. Yeah. Serving. Yes. Yeah. Uh, not necessarily. I just think generally what I do. I could say it was surfing. Okay. Super. Sagi? Um, I'm setting 
Uncertainty, fear, yeah, okay, on the other side? Meaning, oh yeah, I like that word. Com sorry, confidence. confidence and meaning, meaning. Those are, those are very positive words. Uh, anybody else? Sean? Uh, I thought before, um, grasping, which is, okay. Grasping. Deceitful. Resolved. Yeah. Purpose. So, some similarity with meaning, though it's slightly different, but nonetheless, purpose. Great words. A couple more, uh, Dan, and then Tunde. So for me, um, <clears throat> vulnerable. Vulnerable. And I think some of the shell, it's difficult to pick one. Oh, there's a lot of things. <laughs> um, because of the way I grew up, it was very much like, growing up in Wigan was very much camaraderie. You know, you're a man if you drink, if you sleep around, if you... So I was, I was vulnerable to that. Yes. But also because of what happened in my family life, from the mother dad getting divorced and all that kind of mess, I became deceitful. Oh, okay. To please situations. Right. So vulnerable. And deceitful. Deceitful. Okay. And now after? It, and now I say protected. Um, protected. Um, mm. Yeah. Mm. Peaceful, content. Protected and peaceful or, or content. The two P's are great. Protected and, and peaceful. That's, that's great, isn't it? Tunde, what have you got? Yeah, um, I could have been two words, but before... There's a surprise. Is, is it more like ten words? Is it, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it 15? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, there's so many words there I was thinking to try and describe it, but um, well, before, I think I would say denial. Denial, okay. Yes, um, yeah. denial in the sense that I tend to judge myself I benchmark myself against other people after life. I'm not as bad as that. And and if you and, and because I keep feeling that oh I'm not as bad, I'm not as you know awful as the other person. You don't I don't really feel that urge to really seek God. Yeah. Okay. So and I think that was just more general about how everything that's just always everything is all relative, yeah. So, mm. Awake. Awake. Mm. And okay. Because when I was discussing with body, I, I was trying to say, you know, more aware. And he was like, you need more awake. I said, yes, you know, that's actually the word I was looking for. Mm. It's actually just to be more self conscious of what's mm. happening. Right. Okay, how am I doing with other people? How am I dealing with my anger? Mm. Awake. That's so, so important, isn't it? We, a lot of us might relate to the idea of sort of 
drifting through life before, that sort of almost not really awake. And now we understand purpose and meaning, and, and we've been given so many gifts. As he talks about in this passage, that God is offering joy. And they want to substitute the sacrifice of a bull for something far more valuable, um, instead, instead of uh, finding the joy that Paul has to offer them, or God has to offer them. Let me wrap up for the sake of time here. I know we've got some more people could share. Um, I'd like to encourage us to think about how you might use this um, and just be prepared to use it. Part of it is not uh, thinking ahead of time how to use it, but having it ready. If you've got your two words ready, it's one thing. It's not the only way to share a testimony. It's not to say that everything before we were Christian was terrible. It's not to say that everything afterwards is all happiness and joy and light. That's not the point. But it is about the change, about what God has done for us. And it's not judgmental saying, well, I've got this, you haven't. It's not about that. And it's not about um, um, uh, trying to prove that we're better than anybody else. It's just that was then and this is now and it's a reality. And is that something, is that something you might be interested in? Is the question we want to ask our friends. Um, let me finish off then with um, this idea of preparing to share. So like a two-word testimony developing your personal story, and having a positive message. On your handouts, I put a reference to a book called uh, The Search for God and the Path to Persuasion by Peter May that I read a little while ago. I can recommend it for helping us to think about how we share our faith. It has some sections which wouldn't be that relevant, but uh, other parts are. Um, he's a, an ex-GP, a chairman of the Christian Medical Fellowship, um, who uses a lot of the thoughts about how GPs have to work, like Penny, where uh, you have to ask questions and find out information before you can say anything relevant and do it in a relatively short period of time. So there's some interesting insights there. I have also given out to many of you before my summary of his advice on testimonies. Um, I had some more copies with me today, and you're welcome to take those away um, with you afterwards. I think they're up, yeah, they're up here. So I think it's important for us to develop our testimony so that we can be flexible. So Paul preaches one message to Jews, a very different message to the pagans. As we prepare uh, to speak to different people, it will help us to be ready for whoever God brings into our lives. Um, finishing off. This takes sacrifice. Sharing our faith is not a, not a no-sacrifice activity. And we see for Paul, he gets stoned. And they think he's dead. And since they dragged him out of the city, they would have literally dragged him by his heels. That's how it would be done. He was stoned in the city, dragged along, not a tarmacadamed nice little road, a rough old first century road, dragged, left for dead. God did a powerful thing. God has power at the beginning in Lystra. He raises the, he gets, gives the lame man healing. And the power at the end is raising Paul from what looks like the dead. I don't think he was dead, but nonetheless pretty much dead. There is sacrifice. I took this photograph of some poppies this week at the end of our road. I, I saw them. And of course, it's the 75th anniversary of D-Day this week. It's been uh, commemorations of that. And so the poppies are kind of connected with that idea, right? And it's made me think this week about sacrifice. And we're grateful for the sacrifice of people who've given us the freedoms that we enjoy. Um, freedom doesn't come without sacrifice. Good news doesn't really come without some kind of sacrifice. But it's worth it. And let me just give you a taste of that with these two passages from 2 Timothy, where Paul is writing to Timothy about his sacrifices, and he mentions Lystra. 
You know about what's happened to me, the persecutions, all kinds of things that happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured, which included being stoned so badly they thought he was dead. You know about all of that, but the Lord rescued me. And then in the next chapter, he says this, I am already being poured out like a drink offering. The time for my departure is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul does not regret what happened in Lystra. He doesn't regret. Later, another part of, of the New Testament, he writes about the scars on his body, which we assume are from that stoning in Lystra. But he doesn't regret them because it led others to get to know the good news about Jesus. It'll take some effort. It'll take some time. It'll take some thinking. And you might be misunderstood like Paul and Barnabas were. You might even suffer some persecution. But it's not about us. It's about a testimony of what God has done in our lives. High drama in Lystra. Maybe there'll be some high drama in uh, your life this week. I don't know. But I pray that whatever high drama comes our way, that it will be to God's glory and that we'll be prepared to share about what God has done for us. Thank you very much. <laughs>